Hey, good morning, Northeast. Great to see you this weekend. A big shout out to those of you joining us, worshiping with us online this weekend as well. Uh, Amazing weekend, so much to celebrate. Uh, As Chad just said, 120 new people jumping into groups with us just this fall. Um, But even more than that, a good friend of mine in first service brought me my favorite latte. And so I am actually over-caffeinated. I may just amen my own sermon this morning. That's the, that's the kind of church we're having here today. Um, I, I might actually need your help a little bit too there. You got me? Okay. At some point, it'll taper off. Um, hey, we are in this series called Hustle, where we're finding it's really, really hard to hear from God at the speed of hustle. It's really, really hard to relate and be present with God at the speed of hustle. So God invites us to slow down. If you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is building a theology of Sabbath rest over the past couple of weeks. In week one, we began in creation, and out of creation, God created the Sabbath day, invites us into it. What we found in week one is that Sabbath rest is not about us resting from our work. It's about us resting in God's work. He invited us to delight in his work, invites us to rest in his work. What we reflected on is that he does this because he is the finisher. God, after six days, he finished creation. And what God finishes, he completes completely. And he promises to do that in you and me as well. So we're invited to rest, not from something, but in, in and remember his work. Week two, last week, we looked at the law We so often view Sabbath as a rule, a regulation. What we found last week is that Sabbath is, is again, less about rest and more about relationship. Uh, The law says it is Sabbath to the Lord. We come to him to relate and dwell with him. And this is a universal command, not just an Old Testament command for some people. What we saw is that Sabbath is a creation principle. It's a creation command. It came in creation, not in covenant. It preceded covenant. So you and I, we are invited to rest in him. This week, we're going to look at Mark chapter 2. Because the problem is, even with all of this context, it's still hard for us not to view Sabbath as a series of rules and regulations. Do this, don't do that. You can go this far, but not that far. We still view it as rules So today we're going to look at Jesus and his life, his teaching on the Sabbath. What we're going to see from Jesus' life and teaching in Mark 2 is this, that God intended the Sabbath to be something that restores us, not rules over us. And Jesus will tell us this and show us this in Mark chapter 2. So grab your Bibles, head there with me, pull it up on your favorite device, Mark 2. If you have neither of those things, we'll put it on the screen. Mark 2, verse 23, Mark records this. It says, One Sabbath, he, meaning Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they, his disciples, he and his disciples made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And also he gave it to those who were with him. 
And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So just stop there with me. So Mark chapter 2, Jesus has just begun his ministry. It is chapter 2. We're just on the front side of Jesus' ministry. Mark chapter 1 tells us that one of Jesus' earliest miracles actually happens on the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. Immediately, this sets off this division, this discord with the Pharisees who are constantly watching and trying to determine if Jesus is a righteous rabbi, a righteous teacher according to the law. So he heals on the Sabbath, that sets them up. Immediately right before this passage, immediately preceding this passage, Jesus is questioned and his disciples question about why they're not fasting. Say that the disciples of John the Baptist are fasting, we're fasting, why aren't you fasting? So it's no surprise as we come into verse 23 that on the Sabbath, as they're walking through these grain fields, it says in verse 23, the disciples begin to pluck heads of grain and the Pharisees ever present to critique Jesus' ministry, ask again this question. Hey, this is what we follow. This is what the law says. Why is it that they, you, are not doing what is not lawful? This is, this is not lawful. They're picking heads of grain. It's not lawful. What we're going to see here is this sharp contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees, both in this passage and the next that we'll read. The, the Pharisees' primary concern is regulation. It's regulatory. Verse 24, they question him. Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? For the Pharisees, religion is all about following the rules. If you follow the rules, you're righteous in the sight of God. If you break the rules, you are unrighteous. And as a rabbi, all the more. So why is it Jesus that your disciples are not following the law? In their view, the disciples' behavior reflects poorly on Jesus. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher of the law. Your own disciples aren't even following the law. Ergo, you're a bad teacher. You're a bad rabbi. This is on you, Jesus. Their behavior is on you. But there's a problem in the text. The problem is, turns out Pharisees don't actually understand the rules at all. They don't understand the law. Because here's what the law says. Deuteronomy 23.25, we'll put it on the screen. Deuteronomy 23.25, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. What's the law saying? The law is saying if you're walking through these fields, standing grain, walking through fields, you are allowed to, with your hand, pluck heads of grain, snack, strengthen yourself wherever you are walking. But you don't take a sickle to it because a sickle is harvesting, right? You're planning on working. That's, that's much harvest as opposed to, to snack. So snacking on a Sunday, totally, totally legal, guys. <laughs> no amens on that. That's surprising. That's really surprising. Yeah. See, the problem is the Pharisees didn't even fully understand the law. God had made allowance that even for sojourners and travelers, there was this, this thing there to strengthen people on the journey. But they were stepping over the line, and they're questioning why Jesus is allowing the disciples to do so. 
But notice something in Jesus' response. Look back at Mark 2. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't even bring up Deuteronomy 23. It's a perfect opportunity, right? They're making an argument that, that we're breaking the law. Just use the law to shut down the argument. Simple debate. But Jesus doesn't even bring up Deuteronomy 23. Why? Because Jesus knows at the end of the day, the Pharisees are less concerned with him following the law and more concerned with him as a leader. They're questioning Jesus as a rabbi. That's the ultimate question. They're questioning who Jesus is, his leadership. So what Jesus does is instead of quoting the law, Jesus points back at a leader. Look at Jesus' response. Verse 25, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God, the temple, in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And also, David gave it to those who were with him. Jesus understands they are questioning him and his authority, it's a leadership thing. So he quotes a leader, points to a leader. The story comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21 in the Old Testament. David is on the run. In the midst of being on the run, he and his men are weary. They stop and they encounter the tabernacle of God, the priest of God. And there in the tabernacle, they find what? Bread, the presence, the bread of the presence. And when you are weary, when you've been running, nothing smells better than carbs. Right. Amen. Hey, there we go. Somebody else had a latte this morning. Awesome. So they come and they see the bread of the presence. The law says it's reserved only for the priest. But David takes it. And not only does David take it, he gives it to his men to strengthen his men. What's interesting in 1 Samuel 21 is that David is never rebuked for this. God doesn't kill David. God doesn't kill all of his men. They carry on. And Jesus points to this moment, why? See, David is operating as God's chosen king. God has anointed him. He's there to take the place of Saul. Because he is God's anointed, he is operating with an authority and an and, and identity that is much greater David's operating with authority and identity as God's chosen. And here, Jesus in this moment is pointing to David as a way of saying, one greater than David has come. One greater than David is now operating before you. And one with a greater authority and one with a greater identity. And in the midst of their hunger and need, is it not appropriate that our hunger and our need is met? And I have the identity to allow for it. This is why Jesus ends this passage the way he does. Verse 28, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If you were here with us in week one, remember us talking about Genesis chapter two, that, that creation, God created the Sabbath on the seventh day. Jesus is saying, I am Lord even of the Sabbath. If God created the Sabbath, Jesus is saying he's Lord even of the Sabbath. That's a strong statement. Are you tracking with Jesus? Jesus is saying, I am Lord over something God himself created. I and the Father are one. 
I have a divine authority. I have a divine identity. And it supersedes this law. Because the law came from God. I existed with God from the beginning. Jesus is not breaking the law at all, as it turns out. He is actually in the process of fulfilling it. And he understands its right purpose. And he is about to teach us the right purpose of the Sabbath. Because in the midst of showing his authority, he points to the right purpose. See, the Pharisees not only misunderstand Jesus' authority, not only misunderstand his identity, they misunderstand the Sabbath. So he teaches them. Verse 27, he, Jesus, said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. It may not seem like it, but, but this is the mic drop moment in the conversation. This statement with the Pharisees is the mic drop moment. It kind of like trumps everything. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That should have ended it right there. We're going to see in a moment it doesn't. But Jesus here is laying out the purpose and the role of it. What Jesus is saying here is that the Sabbath was made to bless us, not control us. Sabbath was made to bless us, not control us. It was made for us, not, not for us to serve it, but for it to bless us. It may seem like semantics, but, but bear with me for a moment. Because we, like Pharisees, often view the Sabbath as a rule to follow, a regulation to keep. And we get really concerned when we talk about the Sabbath. Oh, am I allowed to do this? Have I gone too far? Like, are we allowed to travel to the beach or should we just staycation? And we worry that maybe we'll go too far, maybe we'll violate something, and then in that violation, like God's gonna get you. And here's the problem because deep inside, we're constantly worried that maybe God's gonna get me. Maybe God's gonna, gonna see what I've done. Maybe I'm gonna do something wrong and God's going to get me. See, the root of that, it's, it's speaking something about our hearts. It's speaking something about our view of God. Jesus is both correcting perception here and he's shaping theology in two significant ways. So let's break this down. First, we have to understand one of the things that Jesus is showing us is that in this instance, the, the law is not over us. Jesus is. What does the text say? It says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what's greater, the law or the one who came to fulfill it? What's greater, this command or the creator from whom it came? Jesus is inviting them to bow before the one who is greater, the Son of Man. As Lord, even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees lived with a devotion to the law, which is why they could not see Jesus for who he was. When we live with law, with rule as the highest authority, instead of God, we're going to make these mistakes in judgment of other people. Jesus is trying to right their view, to lead them to bow before him and devote themselves to him. The second thing, though, is that Sabbath was created as a gift to bless us, not burden us. This, again, again, goes back to this idea of what speaks to our view of God. What do we ultimately think of when we think of God? 
The Sabbath is what God wants for us, not what he wants from us. And this is the critical mistake that the Pharisees make. And this is one of those critical errors that we often make in our own hearts too. They're viewing these lists of rules, all the things that God wants from us. And if we mess up, God's going to get us. But it was given not to control, but to bless us because God knows our weakness and God is the great rescuer of those who are weak. Isn't this, after all, why Jesus came? To lift the burdens? Because God desires to give us life and to find that abundant life in him. And yet, just like in the Garden of Eden, we're still listening to that voice that spills doubt into our souls. I know God said, but... See, God doesn't really want that for you. See, God's trying to restrict you. In the Garden of Eden, the tempter was saying, no, he's trying to restrict you, not... Not look at everything he's given you. He's like, no, look at the one thing he doesn't want you to have. The enemy positions it as God is the great restrictor. Jesus is coming back to redeem it, that God is the great restorer. That God gave us Sabbath to bless us, not control us. We might find rest. And the problem is we misunderstand the heart of God. When we misunderstand the heart of God, it's so easy to miss God himself. The Pharisees are missing God, standing in the flesh. The Sabbath was made for man, to bless us and give us life, not to take it away. Let me just ask that question again. How do you view God? Do you view God as the great restrictor in your life or the great restorer? of that which is truly life. But the story isn't over. Jesus has more to teach us about the Sabbath. The story spills over into chapter three. Pick it up with me in chapter three, verse one. It says, again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, meaning the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. After being rebuked, Jesus now arrives at the local synagogue, as was his custom going into a synagogue on the Sabbath. Mark tells us in verse 1, there was a man there with a withered hand that Jesus encounters immediately upon entering. Now, contextually, a couple of things are important to note. Man with a withered hand means that there is an economic disadvantage and a spiritual disadvantage on this guy. Economically, in an agrarian culture where you, where you basically had to work to eat, everything was done by hand. You, you farmed to feed your family. You farmed to pay for things, or you made things with your hands. And if you couldn't work, you didn't eat. No government assistance. No disability checks. This man is at a disadvantage. He's been suffering. He is likely poor. He has likely begged for much of his life. 
He's likely looked down on. Also because of the spiritual connotation. In the Pharisees' eyes, if you were born with this kind of disability, they believed it was because you had sinned, you or your family. This debate would come to the forefront with another man that Jesus would heal, a man who was born blind. They would ask this very question, who sinned, this man or his parents, his family? So here Jesus comes into the Sabbath. He encounters a man with a withered hand. He calls the man forward, come here. And he said to the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? Jesus wishes to have compassion on this man. And notice again, the Pharisees are watching so they might accuse him. And even when Jesus raises the question about the legality of freeing him, they remain what? Silent. Once again, the Pharisees view religion solely as just keeping the rules. Keep the rules, God accepts you. Break the rules, you're done for. Keep the rules, you're righteous. Break the rules, you're unrighteous. We are righteous, we keep the rules. Jesus is unrighteous, he doesn't. I've resisted saying this. I wondered if I should even, all weekend been praying about it. I'm just gonna come out and say it. If the bulk of your Christian life is spent monitoring everyone else's behaviors, for what they should and should not be doing, then the person that you look most like in the scriptures is not Jesus. Jesus came to free. Jesus came to redeem. No one could keep the rules except Jesus. And Jesus in this moment doesn't just long to restore the man with the withered hand. Jesus in this moment longs to restore the Pharisees and restore their heart and hearts, and restore them to the true meaning of the law, the meaning of what God intended. And so he pushes again on this point, asking the question, is it lawful? They refuse to answer. Jesus is grieved at their hardness of heart. Yes, the text says angered. We view this as a holy, a righteous anger, but notice the grief. He is grieved. God wants us to get it. He doesn't want us to miss it. What is Jesus doing here in healing this man? Is he just trying to antagonize the Pharisees all the more? No. In this moment, Jesus is trying to point at the heart of God. He's trying to point to the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created by who? God. Therefore, it represents who? God in his heart. God in his character. What Jesus is about to do is about to reveal God's heart and God's character. He calls the man to stretch out his hand, and when he stretches out his withered hand, it is what? Restored. And Jesus in this moment is pointing to the heart and the purpose of God and the purpose of his Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is rooted in restoration. Ultimately, God gave it to us as a gift to restore us. Jesus continues to, in their view, break the law. Why? If you notice, every miracle Jesus does on the Sabbath, it is a miracle of restoration, a miracle of healing, a miracle of wholeness. Sabbath is rooted in wholeness. Sabbath is rooted in God's desire to make us whole, to make us rest, 
to bring a restoration that you cannot and you will not find in anything else. And Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sabbath is rooted in restoration. The great desire of God to restore his people to himself. And the ultimate Sabbath rest then found in Jesus as God seeks to restore us to himself through the sacrifice of his only son, the only one who could perfectly fulfill the law on our behalf. It's an invitation to be restored in him. It's why Jesus continued to heal on the Sabbath. It's why he's here asking what is lawful because the point and the purpose in God's heart under the law was to restore. God has come that we might have life in Jesus and have it abundantly. This is why people who argue that we don't have to take a Sabbath are missing the point. When you argue we don't have to take a Sabbath, you are arguing from the standpoint of it being a rule to follow that we're no longer under. And you're missing the point. Because it's a creation principle, not a rule to follow. It's an invitation to rest, not a rule that you need to keep. It's God's desire that you would come to him, not be subjugated by him. Bum, bum, bum. You can't go out today. You can't travel too far. You can't, you can't, you shouldn't, don't. Jesus says, come to me and I will. I will give you rest. People who argue we don't need to keep the Sabbath. That's like the person at work that argues they don't need to take their vacation time. You ever met them? You're over your vacation hours. They're going to roll over in January. You're going to lose them. You need to take your vacation. Oh, do I have to? Okay, you're right. You don't have to take vacation. You're just dumb not to. (laughs) They're going to pay you to go have fun. They're going to pay you to not show up. Is this not the stuff that dreams are made of? Like when I was a kid, that's literally what I dreamed about. Having endless money to just do whatever I wanted. And here you have built-in vacation time. The company is saying, we will pay you not to be here. We'll pay you to do whatever you want. Go do it. We'll pay you. And we say, no, I can't. It's too much work. God gifted us this because he knows we need it and he longs to provide for his children. And he knows that it is only in him that we can find and receive what our souls truly long for. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you. The Christian should never say, do I have to? Or we don't have to. Because it's an invitation to dwell and be restored by a holy God. And we'd be fools to not accept God's invitation. What's the takeaway in this? What's the takeaway? We've been building on these over the past several weeks. We've talked about slowing down 
But what does that really look like for us? Well, we talked the one 24-hour period, six days you shall work, one day you shall Sabbath. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? So let me just lay out a couple of things for us. First, it means do things that draw your heart to God. As we've seen, it's a Sabbath to the Lord, and Jesus says, come to me. Sabbath is not an escape. It is a drawing to, a delighting in. So on Sabbath, we should seek to do things that draw our hearts to God. We're going to talk more about this next week. But here's the thing. So often in ministry, I hear people like, oh, I don't know how to spend time with God. It's so hard to spend time with God. Schedules are so busy. The kids, they're up so early. I got to make lunches. I got to take them to school. And then I got meetings. And there's just, I struggle to meet with God. And then Sabbath comes around and we're like, whoo, I get to sleep in. And we forget about meeting with God. Let's not let that be the case. We need him every day, especially the days that we're pushing and working hard so that we walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. But on days that we rest, we dare not rest from God. We can only find rest in God. Do what draws your heart to him. If God's inviting you to slow down, there's no excuse not to spend time with him. Secondly, do things that slow your pace. Do things that slow your pace. It is about intentionally remembering that our striving can cease because God's work is finished. So do things that intentionally slow your pace. Sleep in. Nap to the glory of God. <laughs> do things that intentionally remind you it is not about you finishing, doing, accomplishing because the greatest work has already been done. Slow your pace. Sabbath is a reminder that God's work will get done in God's time and God's way. He doesn't even really need you. He chooses to use you. And if he's inviting you to slow down, then it's okay to. Do things that are restorative to your soul. Sabbath is about restoration. Do things that are restorative. This is not the day of the week that you do your taxes. Just not. This is not the day of the week that you spend it on social media and things that stress you out and, and bother you. Do things that are restorative to you. Uh, on Sabbath for me, work six days, Saturday's my day off, Sabbath I, I, on Saturday, I will often do woodworking. Uh, yesterday, finished up a project, got to hang it on the back patio, step back, Mindful of God in that moment of creation, delighting in his creation. I just step back and delight in it. You know why that's so restorative to me? Because I actually see progress. In a life, in a world, in a people business where progress is hard to find and so slow. What's so restorative to me is putting my hand to something for a few minutes and seeing something transform quickly. And knowing that ultimately, all the things that I'm frustrated with, God is going to work a work of transformation in those things too. It'll come. It'll come. It'll come. But on that one day, my soul is restored by seeing something come. Do something that restores you. Something that you delight in. And then finally, step back. Step back from things that fuel comparison, that fuel worry, that fuel negativity, that fuel anxiety. Again, this is, Sabbath is a day to step back from social media. Why? Because social media makes you compare. Social media makes you look at what you don't have and what they have. Oh, they're Sabbathing at the beach, fishing. 
I'm not doing any of those things. Oh, they're, they're Sabbathing by the river in a travel trailer. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> right? Social media just reminds you of what you lack, reminds you of, of the blessings that God has gifted to others that you still don't have. And by the end of the day, after being on social media for your entire Sabbath, what are you? Brain dead, irritated, anxious, to the glory of God, right? No, no, that is not Sabbath. Sabbath is a day to step away from those things. Sabbath is a, way to, is a day to step away from the news. So many people wait for the weekend and then live with the news on all weekend and wonder why they are distraught by the end of the weekend. Half of it's not even news. In fact, more than half of it. It's not even news. It's commentary. Okay? We need to be, figure this out. The difference between news and commentary, please. It's a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. I'm on a soapbox right now, and I will get off it, I promise. But this is not the day for commentary about other people and what they're doing wrong. That leads your heart to be that of a Pharisee. Turn it off. It's the day to distance from those things. It is the day to delight in what Jesus has done for you. Something that no government, no man, no spouse, no job, no paycheck, no lottery ticket can ever do for you. In the early 1900s, there was a Supreme Court judge, a justice, who right before one of the biggest, most significant trials of his career, took an entire month off. Month off. And the headlines, oh, the press had a field day. Everyone was criticizing for, how can you do this? How can you afford to do this? It's the most significant ruling of your career. You took an entire four weeks off. And he went on record being interviewed and he said this, I find that I can do 12 months worth of work in 11, but I cannot do 12 months worth of work in 12. Some wisdom in that, is there not? He understood, he understood that there was this nature of Sabbath, this nature of restoration that he was being called into. And because he was weak and because he needed to be at his best for these moments, he allowed himself to enjoy that which God had given. The same is for you. God longs to restore you. For a season of my life, I was so frustrated by Sabbath. I was so frustrated with the concept, so frustrated with weekends. I would get to Saturday and all my hopes were pinned on Saturday. The work week had been terrible and hard and I was gonna get this one day to do all the things that I wanted to do. And then we had kids. <laughs> and then there were other things that popped up and we had to be places. And then it turns out Saturday's the day people wanna get married or people want marriage counseling, people wanna meet with you. It's like the one day, it's like, hey, we need to fix our marriage. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm here Monday to Friday and Sunday. You're like, yeah, we can't do that. I can't take time off work. I was like, just found your marriage problem, <laughs> right? And it's like, you want my one day. And I fought and I fought and I lamented. And I would get angry if I couldn't do woodworking on a Saturday, if we had to go out and do other things, if we had obligations with people, I would get frustrated. I was miserable to be around. Why? Because I wasn't pinning my hopes in Jesus. I was pinning my hopes on woodworking, pinning my hopes in activities, 
If I can do this, then I'll be that. If I can have this, then I'll be happy. If I have this moment and you stop whining and nagging and I don't have to cook and I don't have to do laundry, then I've rested. No, you haven't. You've escaped. And there's a difference. And when I finally figured out that it was about resting in God and looking to him for the things that nothing else could give me, then it didn't matter if I did woodworking or not on a Saturday. Because I could find rest and abundance in him no matter what he was inviting me into. Because if God was inviting me into it, and if he was at the center of it, then there was something for my soul. Do you know that only Jesus can satisfy your soul? Some of you are looking at the person next to you to satisfy your soul, to satisfy the longings of your heart. And they keep failing you, and you can't figure out why they can't measure up. It's because they're not Jesus. Some of you are looking for the right vacation, the right hobby, the right moment, and it never comes. Only Jesus. And if you don't have rest in your soul, then you've not pinned your hopes to Jesus. Would you pin your hopes to Jesus today? Would you come to Jesus today? He says to me, come. If you're weary and heavy laden, that's exactly how I want you. And I will give you rest. And when we come and we confess our sin, we confess our wandering, we confess our heartache, scriptures say he is faithful and just to forgive us of all sin. And Jesus can offer us the life that is abundant that we've been searching for. Would you come to him today? If you don't know that Jesus, don't know that God that is for you and longing to fill you and restore you. And the scriptures would just invite you to embrace him through prayerful confession. In a moment, we're gonna take communion together and be reminded of Jesus' finished work. But would you please in this moment, if you've never embraced Jesus' finished work for your sins, would you do so now as we pray together? Would you pray with me? Maybe you've known Jesus, but you've recognized in this moment that you've been pinning your hopes on other things for rest, on other people for rest. Would you confess that to him now? Would you take a moment to just write your heart before him? Maybe you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're still striving. Would you come today and recognize that it's only in Jesus Christ that we are saved? Would you be willing to pray with me this simple prayer right where you are? Father God, I confess. I've searched for rest in other things. I've searched to prove my worth in front of you and in front of other people. Father, I lay that aside today and I choose to place my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. Father, would you forgive my sin? 
Would you give me the life that you promised, the life that is abundant, and teach me to live in a way that honors you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.